Hello, coaches. Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. My name's Joel. This is episode number 32, and this podcast is all about being an extraordinary coach. Today, we're going to be talking about developmental psychology, and I love this topic. I think it's one of the things that's had the biggest impact on the way that I coach. So did you know that psychologists and scientists have identified a series of distinct stages of development that we can grow through? We don't always grow through all of them, but we can grow through throughout our lives. And each of these stages has their strengths and gifts, but also their limitations. So at each stage, we're going to be seeing the world in a very different way and new capacities come online. So just guaranteed, some of your clients are going to be either transitioning between stages or needing to consolidate at one stage or really needing to to embark and leave the stage that they've been at. And what I love about this theory that we're going to talk about today is that it, it shows you how to go deep. It's really about going deep. So you, you, you go beneath the content of what your client is saying and you get into their deep mindset, the, the kind of hidden operating system with which they see the world. And it's incredible what happens as you start to be able to, to bring this into conscious awareness. So we'll talk today with Jennifer Garvey-Berger about one of these theories. There's several, several different maps of adult development, but we're going to be talking today primarily about Robert Keegan's stages. And I, I love this conversation with Jennifer. It's one we recorded a couple of years back from uh, a program we did, and it was just so good that I didn't want to record another one. I just wanted to put this one out on the podcast. So, so today we'll talk about what is this theory, what are the distinct stages, and you'll really recognize them. You'll really start to go, oh, yeah, like that's, that makes total sense. I see that in myself and my clients. So we'll talk about what are these stages. We'll talk about how do we coach developmentally, what makes it different from other kinds of coaching, what, what kinds of questions does a developmental coach ask and how are they looking at their clients? And Jennifer, she's got some outstanding books on this, including Changing on the Job, uh, which I just highly recommend you check out. So we're in, in great hands and she's just traveling all around the world now teaching this theory and not the, the intellectualization of it, but the experience of it. And Jennifer will be one of the lead teachers on our our online coaching program all about this topic, the art of developmental coaching, along with people like Bob Keegan, uh, Bob Anderson, Carolyn Cochlin, and, and, and others. So it's a fantastic lineup. It's going to be kicking off in February next year, 2019, and registration will open in January. And if you want to know about uh, the early bird discount, if you want to know about when registration opens, you can head to coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching. And then you can just put your name and email in there and, and stay in the loop. So I hope you enjoy this. And without further ado, let's dive right in. I guess I want to start by asking you, well, what, what is adult development? And um, well, why is it important for coaches? But let's, let's start with what, what is adult development? Adult development is a theory, a series of theories about how we grow um, over time. Like 
for many years, people focused on children's development, and we kind of had a sense about how kids grew and how a kid who was five did things differently than a kid who was five months, who did things differently than a kid who was 15. But we didn't have those same um, distinctions about grown-ups. We sort of felt like once you were your full height, you're kind of done. Um, but some, with the beginnings of some research in the sort of 60s and 70s, people started to really look at what the differences are in the way grown-ups make sense of the world. And it turns out they're almost as big as the differences between 5- and 15-year-olds. Um, and so understanding that and knowing about that is pivotal for all of us who work with grown-ups or who are grown-ups, mm. I think. Excellent. And I guess it's quite a hopeful um, start to our conversation, you know, and that, it's, that we don't kind of plateau, uh, you know, once we get to adulthood, but actually that we can continue growing and, and evolving in, in the ways that are appropriate for us. But also that that's not guaranteed, right? It's not guaranteed right. we'll keep growing. Right. I think it is one of the most hopeful theories I know, actually. I think that's a great word for it because it says... Wherever you are now, if you feel overwhelmed or um, like the world is just too tricky to understand or the or your own sense making is bringing you pain, like there's another possibility and we can grow into that. And that's why coaches knowing about adult development is so important because um, we can help be the ones who support our clients into new possibilities and we can do that really intentionally if we understand the terrain we're walking. Coaches, I think, have a great um, uh, intuitive sense of many of these things, but the finer distinctions just make us able to work um, more intentionally and more thoughtfully with our clients. Mm. Well, well, let's talk about, I'd love to kind of start uh, from a macro view and then kind of go in uh, in more detail. So. Um, I know you're influenced by uh, a lot by Robert Keegan's work, and he's going to be uh, also on the program this year, which I'm excited about. And so maybe you could talk about um, some of the, you know, his model, but also some of the broader trends of adult development. You know, what what are some of these trends as we move through the stages, and then we'll get a bit more detailed later. Mm, sure, um, and I'm also interested influenced by Suzanne's work, Suzanne Cookreuter's work. And um, I know she's coming too. So it's like a, a super collection of people you've gathered. Um, so the basically the flow um, is when we are younger, earlier in our lives, we, um, we make sense of the world in a way that um, it is particularly concrete, right? Like, like what we can touch or feel or see, that's our world. And, um, and we don't have a good sense of what our minds are doing. Like what's the connection between my mind and your mind. And so earlier in our lives, mostly when we're kids, but this happens for some grownups too, our minds are totally separate and we can't even guess what's going on in the mind of somebody else. Um, and, so the thing that we can deal with is our needs and how to get what we want and um, uh, kind of optimizing for us because we, we're so separate from other people. Then, and that's like either the last stage of adulthood or the first stage of, um, the last stage of childhood or the first stage of adulthood, depending on kind of 
how you look at the model. Um, and I call that the, the, the self-sovereign form of mind, right? Where like, I'm the king because I actually have just a kingdom of one because I can't even connect to your mind. Mm. Then something happens and we, we begin to realize over time, most of us, that this separation that we have both isn't true and isn't helpful, right? That there are ways we can clump together in groups, open up those walls, and in fact, put our faith in something outside ourselves. And we talk about that as the socialized mind, right? That's when um, we kind of pull our sense of self-esteem and, um, and what's right and what's true and what's successful outside of us. We realize, oh, we can't keep it in here. There are experts. There are people who know way more. We should give it to them. And so then in this socialized space, we become really in with a social surround, right? We become um, connected to a group. We feel for the first time loyalty to a group that's outside us. We're willing to, for the first time really, um, subordinate our interests in, um, in sort of doing what's best for the group, which earlier seemed like a, just a stupid thing to do, right? Like earlier, why would, why would I take less money as an employee so that there would be fewer layoffs. Like that just doesn't even make any sense. Whereas later in the socialized space, you say, oh, we're all together. I'll give up a little bit for the good of the collective. And it's the good of the collective that I have my arms around at that point. And so it's a massive achievement in many ways. Um, and it's still a little bit too small for the modern world, particularly leaders in the modern world, because you're constantly looking outside you for guidance, right? Like you, you give up an internal guidance system. And so very often now, and I think probably more and more often in this world where so many things are coming at you and where you can't put all your trust in one particular place, um, very often now people, people begin this transition towards the, what I think of as the major transition of adulthood, which is to self-authorship to where we say, okay, I can't be written by others anymore. I have to pick up the pen and write that myself. And um, I need to make those decisions. And my surround still really matters. Loyalty still really matters. But I need to interpret it my way. And I need to make the decisions I need to make on behalf of myself and others collectively. So that's kind of the major arc. Then there are some folks who go even beyond that stage of self-authorship. It's much less common. Um, but there are some folks who finally they decide, you know what? I don't think I really am the author of things. Like, actually, I think um, I'm kind of more a co-author <laughs> because it turns out that um, my surround actually does have quite a role in shaping me just as I have a role in shaping the surround. And it's kind of not true that I'm writing my own story. I'm kind of writing and written at the same time. And in this place we talk about as the self-transforming space, people kind of give up their um, sense of I'm the author and I'm in charge and I'm marching my way through at my pace and this is about me to, oh, wait, this is about us after all. But it's a different kind of us. It's an us, us that's got um, the strength of self-authorship with an openness to the collective surround 
and the sense of co-creation. Mm-hmm. So uh, it sounds like each stage becomes more spacious or more complex in some ways, psychologically complex. That's right. Each stage becomes more psychologically complex, more able to handle the complexity of the world um, and many moving parts coming at you. And each stage gets a little grayer, right? So earlier it's very black and white, then it gets a little bit like black, white, and gray, and then you get more grays. And then finally you understand in the self-transforming space that the that black and white are only possible in connection with each other, that black and white create each other, and in so doing they create gray. And, um, and so it's that interconnection that you begin to see more carefully. Mm. I guess I guess the question I have now is like what what is it that catalyzes our development and I imagine that could be a big question you know in one sense a lot of coaches are listening and and um, you know I know coaches can can play that role but I imagine just living is playing that role what what kind of it, like kind of what are the ingredients that that can catalyze that I mean that's a that's the crazy thing right because Earlier in our lives, our development is such that we have to grow, right? Like, like you don't have to ask what catalyzes a baby to learn to walk, right? That just seems to happen. But later in our lives, we get stuck. And um, so we all know people who have been um, faced with hardship and really grown and faced with hardship and really ossified or faced with great opportunity and grown to meet it or faced with great opportunity and crashed and burned. Like, so... We have some ideas about what makes it possible for people to grow, and we certainly don't know the whole story. The some ideas, the um, one of the great contributions of Bob Keegan's theory is this idea of the subject-object move, mm. right? That um, that during much of our life we are and we need to be so fused with things that we can't see them and we can't separate from them. Like we might be fused with our image of success as being a senior vice president by 40. And like, if it doesn't say senior vice president on my card by 40, I'm not a success. We can't really see that and operate on it. We're subject to that belief. It just occurs to us as true. Um, And then over time, we can begin to separate that stuff out and say, oh, there's success and there's being a senior vice president by 40. They're not exactly the same. There's some space in between there. Um, And as we are able to look at that, we're able to make sense of new choices. And it's that move in um, in the micro that creates developmental spaces in every coaching session. And it's that move in the macro, like when we see how embedded we are in a social surround when we're socialized and we begin to look at our embeddedness and make different choices, that whole thing creates a new self-authored form of mind. So I guess like, uh, yeah, if I'm fused with that belief and it's subject to me, then it's just running the show um, I just don't know it's there really. Um, it's just a, a truth about the world and it's running me. And then at some point, yeah, I may, you know, begin to, to question that and then see how true is it for me. And it may, yeah, it opens up something opens up. There's more choice and spaciousness. Keegan talks about beliefs we have versus beliefs that have us. Right. And when a belief has us, like there's nothing to do, there's nowhere to go. 
And when you have a belief, then you can turn it over, you can put it on the table, walk around it, get a different view, and you might end up holding it, but you end up holding it instead of having it hold you. Um, and the difference in your capacity for choice is just massive there. Mm. So I, let, let's talk about that a little bit more because I'm curious how you may uh, yeah, begin to, to coach developmentally as opposed to uh, another kind of coaching. Uh, what kind of things is a developmental coach looking for or um, asking? And also, like, how do we begin to question into to where our clients may be developmentally? And I know that comes with a big kind of caveat of making premature judgments and um, lay, putting labels on people. So yeah, how do let's kind of zoom in and maybe that's a very big question I've asked you, or several questions in one, but... <laughs> It's a very big question. Let's take them. Let's see if I can take them one at a time. So there's this first question about what's the difference between developmental coaching and other kinds of coaching. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, the difference is um, many forms of coaching are there to help our clients cope with their challenges in a new way. Right. Like that's what coaching is. Right. We're we're here to help our clients coach with challenges, cope with their challenges in a new way. Um, and the thing that makes developmental coaching developmental is we believe that in fact, there's something about the way the client is making sense of the world right now that's getting in the way. And if they were to make sense of the world in a different way, new possibilities would arise for them and therefore they would operate in the world in, in a different way. So I'll give you an example. I, had a, I was coaching a chief executive once and he said, so Jennifer, the thing I want is for you to help me. Um, uh, I get really annoyed in my meetings because the people, um, my senior team's really, really good, but they can be kind of slow and I'm just faster than they are. And so they want to talk things through when like the obvious way is there. And um, I know I get annoyed and I'm like a book and my impatience shows on my face. And so I want you to give me techniques so that they won't see how irritated and sometimes angry I am. And, um, and I said, cool, that's, you know, like that's a good, I'm delighted that you'd like your team to receive you as less angry and annoyed with them. That's awesome. But that's not what I do. What I do is I help you see your team differently by you being different. Mm. I help you see your team differently so that the anger doesn't arise so that you won't feel angry or annoyed with them because you'll be different inside you and a different set of things will come up for you. Um, and so that's what we worked at. How do you see the world differently so that that feeling doesn't arise? Mm, excellent. I'm just thinking of a question that you um, posed to me one time when we spoke, which was how, how might I be wrong as well in these situations? And not that you would pose that to him directly, but what a powerful question for a CEO like that who's putting it on his team and not looking at himself. That's exactly right. Well, that is, in fact a key piece of what we looked at, right? Like how, how do you awaken curiosity? How do you get out of the belief that because I believe it, then it must be right. How do you um, loosen up on that operating system that says, I know the way and the truth and the light. And so if the, my job as a leader is to just to get you on board 
um, which is sometimes annoying and tedious because you guys have to go through your little process. Uh, so how do you loosen that system up? And it's the loosening of that system, helping him see pieces of himself and his own sense making that get in the way that's developmental coaching. Mm, yeah. Well, so tell me a bit more how you, um, begin to coach people developmentally. Um, you, you've talked about that, but like what kinds of, um, things are you looking for in the people that you're coaching? Mm. So I, the thing I'm looking for is the way they're um, sen- the way they seem to be making sense of the world. Like not what the not what the challenges are, but why they feel like challenges to this person. So anybody can be challenged. Any senior leader can be challenged by conflict on her t- leadership team, right? Like th- anybody could be challenged by that. But what's the challenge for this particular senior leader? Is it because um, is it because she gets so torn and she can't figure out what to do because she needs a clear steer from her surround because she's in this kind of socialized form of mind. Is that the problem? Is it because, um, she's kind of in the self authored form, but she has a sense that the, um, the conflict on her team is kind of wasting time and like they just need to settle down and get alignment and then we can go forward. And that's the problem. Um, so, so I, I try to find out not what the issue is, but why it matters to this person. Um, and by doing that, I try to kind of figure out how are you making sense of the world? Like I, I often do that with questions like, um, what's the hardest thing for you about this? Or what's the most important thing to, to not do the coaching thing, which expands possibilities, but to really do a kind of a core sample thing mm-hmm. that like, goes deep in to a single place. Um, and then I hear them in a particular way where I'm constantly listening for what do they seem to have as an object of their reflection and what do they seem to be subject to. So um, when you're going in deeper like that and asking them, you know, what's the worst thing or the best thing, what, what's, why is that important? Um, it's important because we don't, we don't lead with our sense making, right? Like we don't, I don't say to you, hey, Joel, let me tell you how I'm making sense of this situation and why it's so hard for me. And these are the parts I can't see. And these are the parts I can see. And let's have a conversation like that. Like, we don't know how to do that. We just say, I'm so pissed off because of what just happened in that meeting, right? Like, mm. so we have to get under and under and under and under, under people's reactions, under their judgments, under their emotions, under their um, fears and anxieties for the future. And we have to get like into that place that they mostly don't go of, okay, why does this why does this matter to me and in what way does it matter to me and what does that mattering show about how i see the whole world mm-hmm. how i make sense of the whole world so you maybe i i think i've heard you talk about this point but you might even ask the same question more than once to to kind of drill down to get to that place that you're talking about now that's exactly right i was having a i was talking with a client yesterday and she was um we were dealing with um, a classic issue I think many of our clients have, which is that the world keeps giving her signals that she's awesome, but she doesn't kind of feel awesome. She doesn't feel worthy 
of what the world is giving to her. And so I asked her a few times, um, so what's the hardest thing about that? What's the hardest thing about that? What's the hardest thing about that? Just going a little bit deeper, deeper, deeper. And we found there, um, sort of at the core, a story that she was carrying that, um, that just is like in the root system of her whole sense making. Um, and that she was totally subject to, and she had that moment, you know, you just described it. She was like, Oh my God, this is everywhere. It's everywhere. Like, I can't tell you thousands of examples are coming up for me about how this is everywhere. And on the one hand, this is so powerful. And on the other hand, I can't believe I haven't seen this before because it's everywhere. But that's what being subject to something is, right? It's everywhere and we don't see it by definition. Mm, nice, nice. Um, I've also heard you talk about equals before and uh, I think it's related to this fusion kind of, uh, but maybe you could speak about that a little bit as well. Well, it's that whole idea that when things are, one of the things we can listen for as coaches is how things are tightly held together, right? When our clients basically say this thing and this thing are the same, earlier I said like vice president and success are the same, but it can be just about anything. It can be, um, you know, traveling the world or it can be, a, it can be about your image of success. It can be about your image of truth or goodness or, um, or what's right in about the world. When you have those things really tightly fused, um, somebody who can just notice, Oh, it sounds like this equals that gives you just that little bit of space to say, Oh yeah, you mean that's not necessarily true. So I might still hold it as true, but now that I know that it's not necessarily true, hmm, like a, a good leader is honest um, um, down to the most nitty gritty detail. So no matter what the effect on somebody else is, a good leader is going to just say what comes into his mind as the truth right now. I have a leader I work with who thinks that because anything else would be dishonest. Okay, well, let's just look at that because not all leaders have to share every little blip that goes on in their head that's a judgment about somebody else in every single moment and still think of themselves as honest people. Is it possible that you could use some discretion about when and where to give people feedback that might increase the happiness and success of your team? Hmm. I mean, that's like a new idea and it opens up, oh, I wouldn't be a bad person it wouldn't be necessarily mm. dishonest mm. if I didn't tell you, boy, that thing you said in that meeting was a load of crap, which is a lot like the feedback this person was offering. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people in the world who are maybe at socialized mind or moving from socialized to self-authoring. And what kind of things would uh, a coach ask someone, you know, who's maybe really guided by, uh, the the authorities around them, the, the society they're in, um, to to kind of find that their own voice. I mean, one of the cool things adult development offers is a map for our clients to look at too, right? So, um, I was working with a really senior leader, and um, I had this sense that he was. Um, that a whole lot of the kind of um, churn around him was because he was so invested in making other people like him, mm. right? They, um, and 
so I started to try to figure out, is that because he wants people to like him and why is that for? And as I asked him questions, it was clear that he didn't know how to like himself that well if other people didn't like him, right? So then you can see um, that that's a kind of outside in look at yourself, right? Like my self-esteem lives on you. And so I have to make you feel good about me for me to feel good about me. Um, and so I said, Hey, can I get a little theoretical with you right now? Um, and talk to you a, a little bit about what I think I'm noticing and just check it out with you. And I did a little description of adult development and he said, Oh my God, that is exactly what I'm doing. And in fact, I've been doing this for like 20 years and it's been really successful, but in this position in this company, it's not successful because there are like too many voices and it's too hard. It's not, it's not working for me anymore. What do I do? Um, and so we became a, a piece of our coaching now is, um, very explicitly about moving from the socialized to the self-authored space. So he reflects on, um, the difference between somebody's opinion of him and his opinion of himself, right? Like he, now we talk about that. Um, when he, um, loses his way, we talk about, we get him centered into his purpose and his values. Um, and like the system he's trying to create the authorship system he's trying to create. We deal with the, um, the very real fears that one of the things that keeps us in an earlier sense-making system, even when the environment is asking for us to be bigger, is um, is what we'd have to give up, right? Mm -hmm. And so he, he fears that he'd have to give up being an empathetic, kind, loving, connected person, which is what very many people fear they'll give up. Uh, they think they'll be kind of disloyal and um, arrogant. And if I push my way and I don't hold your way, like that would be terrible. And so to know that you can be empathetic and kind and connected at all different places in the developmental trajectory has been a really important thing for us to explore together and for him to kind of go out and see in himself and his growing self-authored space. And then we practice. We have bod bodily practices where he can feel like when's his energy kind of resting in somebody else and when is it more kind of in himself. Um, and bit by bit, he experiences himself as really transforming. Because mm. mm. at that stage, is it right that we look, can be looking for the right answer in some way? Uh, yeah. We're looking for the right answer. We're looking for um, we're we're looking for other people to make us right, as opposed to being able to navigate across many different perspectives and hold that balance. We can um, senior leaders can very often um, just seem to agree with whoever they're with. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear people say of a senior leader. 
yeah, it just depends on who we talk to last, how he feels about that issue. And sometimes that's a sign of the socialized sense making. Like when I'm with you, I think, oh yeah, that sounds really good. And so, it, and I want to keep our connection. So I say, oh yeah, that sounds really good. And I'm right there with you. So you think I agree with you. And then I come out of the next meeting. I say, oh, Joel had these really good ideas. I hadn't thought about them before. I think I'm with him. And they say, oh no, 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 no. It's like this. And he's, oh, I want to keep connected with you too. I really agree with you. And so in this particular case with this leader, People were like, it just depends on who he talked to last, how he's going to feel about that. And he's spinning the organization around mm. by flip-flopping because he can't hold his own center. Mm. One of the most um, powerful reasons I think um, coaches should understand developmental theory is because we tend to coach people for the developmental transition we're in as coaches um, instead of coaching them for the developmental transition they're in if we don't have a set of distinctions about it, right? Mm -hmm. So like we are the coach, Bob Keegan calls it being good company for the wrong journey, right? Like we are awesome company for somebody like us and less good company for somebody like them. So I've had coaches who are super self-authored, who are coaching people who are more socialized and they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, just take a stand. I mean, and they don't say that. Of course mm. we would never say it to our clients, but they think it. And they're like, well, just go work on your purpose statement some more or whatever. And basically they're saying be different in the world and then we'll be able to start our coaching. Um, and that like, that'll work for some clients and it won't work for all clients. Mm -hmm. Well, We've covered a lot of territory, and I do want to give a little bit of space uh, for you just to share a little bit on, on uh, you know, you're going to be uh, teaching in the upcoming program, and um, I imagine we'll be going into a lot of these topics in, in more detail, but uh, what kind of things are people going to be getting from attending your sessions? I mean, I, I think that um, I'm hoping that people get kind of three things, right? One is a set of powerful ideas. Um, the second thing I, uh, and let me just say, I think adult development is one of the most powerful ideas I know. It's the story of our lives. Um, and um, it shapes, our, the way we make sense of the world shapes everything we do. So it's like not a small idea. Um, the second thing is a set of practices. Like, so what do we do? Uh, which we can go into in much more depth in those pieces. Like what's a, what's a move? What's a little move we can make as coaches before we understand the whole adult development thing? What can we start to practice with and play with that's going to take our practice to the next level? And I guess the third thing is um, that it's not just about our clients, right? It's about us. It's about who we are. And I'm hoping that people will get insight into themselves and into um, their own sense-making and the way they see the world and um, how they could be growing and changing if they choose to, to be growing and changing right now. So um, who we are really matters and how we make sense of the world really shapes what's possible for our clients. And I think there has never been a time when our clients have needed us more. And I think there's never been a time when the world has needed us more to be um, centered, open, complex um, supports to a world struggling with simplistic and locked down leaders. Mm.
Yeah, I mean, I, I can. Uh, I want to high five you on that one. I think it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much going on in the world today, and it is evoking something inside of me. And I see similar things with a lot of my friends and my coaching community that I know. And um, hopefully, that's 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 our response. You know, we can't respond to what's happening. And just to say, also, that's one of the things we get the most from the people that attend the program is like, wow, like I am. I've grown so much. Mm-hmm. I'm growing so much from coming into contact with these ideas and um, questioning myself and and turning things upside down and um, and 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 things start to open up for people. So I think um, I'd love that you say that because that's what the feedback we get so much. So that's awesome. I want to just say um, thanks again uh, for for sharing yourself and um, we've covered a lot of stuff today. Um, before we spoke, we were like, yeah, we you know we can't be too ambitious, but I think we've gone to a lot of places and and um, hopefully the, all the coaches listening you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of value from this too so thanks Jennifer thank you so much and thank you for putting together a thing that reaches out to folks at a at a big scale so that we can get ideas out into the world where they need to be Hello, Joel here again. I just want to take a moment of your time to tell you again about the Art of Developmental Coaching, which is our online training program all about what we've talked about in this interview. How do you coach developmentally? And Jennifer is going to be one of the leading faculty on that program, along with people like Bob Anderson, Bob Keegan, Carolyn Coughlin, B.B. Hansen. We've got a, it's just a, a spectacular lineup. Like I said at the intro, I I just think every coach should know about this theory because it opens up so many possibilities when working with your client. So the program is going to be kicking off in February next year, 2019, and registration opens in January. So if you want to be the first to know about that, including the early bird discount, then head to coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching. Just put your name on in the box there and you'll stay in the loop. Okay, so until we next meet, be well. Mm-hmm.